Hello and welcome back to another episode of our Generation On Air. My name is Alex Fullamore and this week I'm joined by Micah Chadley and Dan Lambert. That's right, two people because there must be some big news to talk about. Uh, that is, of course, another stand renamed. <laughs> that's that's what we got now. We, we're down to two stands left. No, the loft, uh, I think the school end you'll find is the uh, Achilles security uh oh yeah of state course. stand or something like that i don't know if the hope if the loft end has been renamed i oh, should they can't do that can they i mean people don't like it that it's a family stand depends how bad our financial state gets yeah yeah we'll see how well this new guy does won't we and then and then we'll <laughs> uh it, pretty soon we'll be sponsoring seats i imagine um I think that's the acceptable level of sponsorship that we can get involved at. Uh, I will sponsor my own seat. I assume that is not covered in the season ticket price, but uh, uh, it can't be too far off for CEO, chairman, um, director of football, any other titles that I'm missing out on Lee Hughes here? Kitman. Uh, Kitman as well. Fair enough. Possibly. It's uh, let, let's start with that because we may as well. News today about Amit Batia no longer take, being on the board anymore. Um, I think we mentioned it last week, Micah, with the naming rights. This just feels like obviously, technically, there isn't actually anything wrong with it, but at the same time, it feels like this is the sort of thing that. Of all teams, QPR will get found out for, um, perhaps made an example of, even though there's plenty of other sort of examples of it out there. Um, I've got to be honest with you, my Wi-Fi completely froze while you're asking that question. Um, I'm assuming I'm assuming you're talking about the the Batier stand and how it feels. Yes. Yeah. It's it's um. Yeah, <laughs> I mean it, it's FFP, I suppose. I mean the, the the entire thing is kind of just all stems from this what is almost a two year nightmare now that kind of started when it fell apart with Warburton in January. Um, I mean it, it, it's better than like selling a stadium and renting back to yourself. Are we all like in agreement there? Yeah, I think so. I think that that was something that. QPR fans were not too fond of when uh, Mel Morris was doing that at Derby, so, you know. I mean, we're in the grey area of moral judgement, I suppose. I think a lot of uh, things in football suddenly become that, in, in go into that grey area as soon as your club's involved in it. Like... <laughs> yeah, if it's your team, there's grey area, but if it's anyone else's, then it's wrong. All of a sudden, it's sort of like actually, I I don't think that that's too bad. I've I've always found that particular place to be lovely. <laughs> yeah, you start talking about how it's like how it's like smart and business savvy, like things like that. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. This is got business savvy written all over it. <laughs> um, that's enough of that talk because really we don't know what we're talking about when it comes to that. We barely know what we're talking about in actual football. So sort of off the pitch boardroom matters. We've got no idea. But 
you mentioned nightmares there, Micah. And Dan, I think probably, I think everyone's delighted, or not delighted maybe, but relieved that the Ainsworth tenure is actually finally over now. Yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd say that. Um, I mean, to be honest, I, mean, I was actually at the game on Saturday and we didn't actually, didn't think we played as bad as most performances this season. Um, I mean, we kept a lot of their key players quiet and for the most part, apart from a stupid, another stupid sending off, um, we were in the game. So I thought 11 v 11, it wasn't it wasn't too too dominant on their part. Um, but yeah, overall, glad it's, glad it's done and we can uh, we can move on. We'll get into the specifics of Ainsworth's sort of departure just after this. But seeing as you've mentioned the Leicester game, we may as well cover it now. I left that game feeling really disappointed and just a li- it felt a little bit empty at the end because I expected us to lose going into that game. I'm pretty sure everyone, you and Micah, would have also expected us to lose. And I'm fairly certain majority of QPR fans would have expected us to lose as well. A lot of us would have thought as well, this is going to be a real sort of thrashing, 4-0 sort of thing. So when Leicester rock up and they're, to be honest, off their game on that particular day, for whatever reason, whether it was just the fact that, you know, you cannot be perfect all the time or the fact that they thought as well, as did pretty much everyone else, oh, that we're going to walk this game. There's no, you know, no real need to sort of put the effort in that we would normally and you know fair enough if they did think that because clearly they've watched our previous games and that's a fair assumption to make um what i felt was disappointing is that having that all considered there was no real effort i felt to actually go out and win this game and maybe there is something to be said about the fact that Ainsworth probably knew his job was gone maybe at this point but would you not, Dan, much rather as a manager go out on a high and have those people questioning whether, you know, a couple of weeks down the line, if this new fella doesn't get the results we want, people would then be questioning, was Ainsworth that bad? Because, you know, memory is such a short thing in football. If you go out on a, surely just go out on a high, really go for it in this game. Don't be so well, negative. Don't sit off. Don't, don't, don't be as passive. Yeah, it was so insipid. It was just bizarre. Uh, like, I, 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 I thought to be fair, you got the game plan fairly spot on for what the game is. I mean, you say you can go for it, and I get that, but even with ten men, there's people in the stands shouting for them to press, and there's two passes, and you're through in the in the final third against our defense. So they've got quality. I guess if you go for it, then it could be three four before half time. Um, I don't know. It felt it felt like we nullified the spaces quite well. Um, I mean, Kakai played very well, I have to say, um, against Vardy. But yeah, I think I think we've seen how our high presses at the start of the season, how leaky it is, like Blackburn. Um, I think he was probably safer trying to sit off a little bit, and it it did work for the most part. But the red card killed us for me. I mean, I don't mind sitting off, but it just felt like at times we weren't like the West Brom game. We weren't trying to attack. We weren't bothered with that sort of... I know after the... You know, we've seen it before with the red cards all too frequently. When when we go down to 10 men under Ainsworth, it's very much just sort of like two banks of four. We are going to nullify them as much as possible. But, you know, I, I really felt like there was an opportunity to... Just to, I don't know, try, try and show something a little bit more, try and change it up a little bit. Because it never felt like they were really... 
it never felt like they were fully firing. It felt like they were kind of phoning it in. They misplaced so many passes for a team that are supposedly so far ahead of everyone else in the league. It it just it felt really frustrating. Yeah, maybe. Um, I don't know. I just I just think against the side that probably not, I think there were nine wins on the bounce, top of the league. I think it's a big it's a big risk you go there at home when you've lost what six on the spin or five on the spin and, and go out the team. Um, I think we're probably low in confidence as well. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Maybe we could have, but I thought for the most part we didn't. Um, that we didn't embarrass ourselves. Micah. Your thoughts yeah, no, on Leicester? I think just, just, just in regards, like to his game plan. Um, I think if you think back to, like, what was really Ainsworth's most successful, kind of spell of games as a QPR manager was the Norwich draw, the West Brom draw, um, beat Burnley, and beat Stoke. I can't remember where they were, but I know they were like quite close proximity to each other. April, May time. That's really his best spell. That's kind of what kept us in the league. That kind of just sitting back, 20%, 20% possession, kind of not really bothering to press, just trying to be compact. Um, you know, it saved us from going down. Maybe he just felt like that was the only thing that was going to save his job. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, according to, I actually can't remember who it was, but I saw on Twitter today, this has been on the cards for like the last four weeks. That dialogue's been open between QPR and uh, Sefuentes in, in it terms of sense. negotiating would, a deal. It would make sense in that they've announced him and they were pretty confident that he was going to be in the dugout on Saturday when obviously when it comes to um, overseas managers now, uh, there's obviously work permit issues because of Brexit. So it's it's it kind of would make sense. Yeah. Um, I think... It, oh, Again, I was on uh, BBC London yesterday evening. <laughs> now, now weekly. Should we literally <laughs> leave, Michael? Regular segment. Yeah, we've got to get out of it, Dan. <laughs> but they, they had a proper journalist on just beforehand from the guy who broke the news. And I think he said as well that, you know, this had been going on for ages, really, and that they were just waiting to the end of the season in... I've forgotten where he where was he play where was he manager before was it sweet wasn't Sweden was it was it Sweden? Sweden yeah yeah so you know the end it's like the two games left or something like that it, it, yeah you know the, he was clearly waiting until as as late as possible to bring him in um so yeah I, I don't know I think that kind of I know what you're saying about his style being negative. And that's kind of what got us those points at the back end of last season. But I, I did did kind of feel like there was a bit of you, you must know when you're a manager and sort of like that you must know there's something else going on there. You know the players must know as well. Yeah. And 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 looking at it with with hindsight, you're putting I'm putting stuff together, but it, it does kind of make a bit more sense now that players have really been phoning stuff in because they know that it's not going to be that long until a new manager comes in, so they don't have to play well under this guy anymore. Am I harsh in saying that? Yeah, I mean, yeah, there's a case that can be made. There's another case that can be made that um, that maybe players will want to try and impress the new manager with their performances 
uh, with the outgoing manager. Um, I, I just think what it comes down to is that the the players are, are checked out, not necessarily because of the manager, but I think they realise that like that's not the way that we want to play. That's not the way that they want to play. Sorry, that's not the way that we were kind of built to play by by Ferdinand and Belk and 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 Warburton and Beal to an extent. Um, and that it just wasn't going to work. Like I think, so, something, something. I think maybe Coventry at home that game, so, something kind of just left the players there. Like I think there, that's when they kind of realised, look, that's that's it. We can't do this anymore. Have you been sort of like hurt by this whole experience, Micah? Seeing this all kind of play out. Yeah, yeah, we we spoke about this last week, and I, I'll try not to make it about me too much, but it, it is quite sad, especially when I was there on Saturday, especially the way he kind of went around um, and clapped everybody at the end on Saturday. Like that, that was a man that was kind of well aware that his his dream job, so to speak, is kind of just not worked out like that. Yeah, uh, Dan, the Dazelle incident. Um, four, as I said, four red cards so far this season, one successfully overturned. So, you know, you could make a case it's only been three, really, but um, <laughs> you know, marginal gains, all that. Yeah, fair play uh, award. <laughs> yeah, I think we can forget that now. Um, <laughs> but Andre Dazelle, you know, he up to that point probably I can't remember him having like an awful game. He's certainly played worse for us. He's got the goal. Um, something that Clive mentioned in his sort of whole debrief of the Ainsworth situation that Dazelle should be scoring goals like that on a bit more of a frequent basis. Goals midfield is a massive problem for us. And then he goes and, it, you know, it's a bad foul to give, not, not to give away, but it's a bad foul. It's like a high tackle in rugby in a sense, I think, from memory. Um their player pushes him, he pushes the player back. It's just another moment of absolute stupidity from one of our players. And just when you think you couldn't top what Jimmy Dunn did, the sort of like, Dazelle sort of like, just let me have a go at it, mate. Like, what on earth were you thinking when this was all going out? Well, to be honest, I was at the other end of the pitch, so I couldn't quite see what was happening at the time. But it's not his first one, is it? Because he did that the same at, at home against Bournemouth uh, just after the Boxing Day. Like, they've got. You know the one where they rescheduled it for like late December. Um, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, like it was the end it, of the game, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, there was like a, a fight between like half of the half of the team. Um, yeah, so it's not the it's not the first time he's done it, and you got you got to learn from these these situations. Um, yeah, it's just it's just stupid. Um, like you say, similar to Dunn's one was 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 avoidable as well. So it's just costing us at the minute, and we've got enough things going against us as it is. Yeah, when you can't actually play well enough with 11 players on the pitch, 10 is not uh, not <laughs> ideal in the slightest. Um, one thing I wanted to bring up as well was the kind of the transition from Critchley to Ainsworth, right? In this whole kind of stylistic difference in terms of the way they address people, the, the media and sort of talk about the players. Critchley was a lot more harsher and had home truths to be said uh, you know you know he is managing in league one now so he's he's no kind of pep guardiola but he had his opinions there and he and he said them publicly i'm sure gareth ainsworth has been critical of the players behind closed doors but you've got a manager that every week 
came out and backed his players, regardless of what performance they put in on the pitch. Hi there, Alex here, recording this after the podcast has finished. Unfortunately, at this point in the recording on the podcast, my laptop decided to pack it in. So, I've managed to get it back, and we recorded the rest of the podcast, and that's where we're going from now. So the point I was making before, the technical cock-up there with my laptop, um, either one of you can answer this question, but is it not... Does it say something about the players at the club? Because they it's still largely the same players that played on the Critchley and some of them were there under Warburton. You know, there's been major things have happened to this squad, but you've still got players sort of down in tools a little bit in games. Uh, and someone like Ainsworth backed them to the hill in public and he never really got anything back from them. Is there something to be said about that? Is you know, do you guys find that disappointing, bored, you know, insulting? I don't know. Like, what do you think? Uh, it's a tough one because there's so many reasons why a footballer joins a football club. Do you know what I mean, like, even this summer, the reason Steve Cook came to QPR is a different reason to why Ziad Larkesh came to QPR. Um, it's hard to say, you know, a lot of these guys have kind of probably just sold QPR as like, look, you do two, three years here, we're going to get you a move to Crystal Palace or we're going to get you a move to, I don't know, Fulham. We're going to get you a move to whatever like lower mid-table Premier League club you want to you wanna name. Um, and then it's, it's kind of hard when like, you know, I, I'm not trying to excuse this at all, but I'm just maybe playing de- devil's advocate a bit. It's kind of hard when like maybe you know, you bring in someone like Mick Beale, who's constantly talking about being the best version of yourself. And then he kind of goes and leaves you. And then the next guy's coming in and he's now saying that you're soft and you're not the best version of yourself. And and then, okay. And then this, this next guy comes in and he's backing you to the hill, but like, maybe you're looking at it and it's like, well, stylistically, tactically, this isn't making sense. Um, it's, 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 it's hard for me to really kind of pass a judgment on, the players, I'm disappointed in their performances and, and I, I think it's embarrassing sometimes the way that they do down tools uh, or when the tide is against them. But because we just don't know what's going on, it's hard for me to even really like criticise them too much. Yeah, that's a, a fair comment, Mark Dan. Yeah, I'd probably be similar. I'd probably, I'd probably sit on the fence, I'm afraid. But yeah, it's, it, is, it is hard. I think when you're dealing with players, you have got to be careful because you throw them under the bus or something like that. Then with player power, especially at like championship Premier League level, it can just like go in the matter of a click of a finger, really. Um, yeah, so I, I don't know too much. Like Mike said, we don't know what's going on behind closed doors, but they haven't reacted well to pretty much either Critchley or Ainsworth. So I don't really know what more a coach can do in terms of in the pub, like in the public, whether he slags them off or not. What um, uh, what do you th- where do you think Ainsworth went 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 wrong? Where where, apart from obviously results, what was it that lost him this job, Dan? Um, <clears throat> I don't know. I think for some 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 games you could see what he was doing tactically. I don't think some games the players exactly carried out what he wanted them to do. Um, I think some of it was 
was maybe the style. Does it does it suit all the players? Um, but I think I don't think there's one thing you could probably put your finger on. But uh, for the results, like you say, weren't weren't working. The performances, the data wasn't really in our favour either. So there's 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 got to be a reason why that was the case, and I think that was more on the pitch stuff. Let's uh, move on then to the new, the, another new dawn for QPR. We've shifted again to another manager, completely different stylistic change, which we'll go into shortly. Uh, but let's first talk about the oh-so-close return of Neil Warnock. Micah, um, another, I think at one point you were quite worried, yet another one of your QPR idols that might have been dragged through the mud. Um you know, apart from reappointing Ali Forlan, like you know, you weren't, you couldn't get much more worrying for you, could it? <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, but I, I mean, I, I was a bit tongue in cheek about that. I find it hard to kind of imagine a world where where Neil Warnock ever gets relegated from the championship. Um, so, and and I, I mean, from and weirdly. Like if you look at the players here, that there, there there's players there that you think, oh yeah, like Warnock could get probably get a tune out of this guy and that guy. Um, but in, in the end, it wasn't to be. I wonder. I wonder what happened there. I wonder what really happened there. I mean, we we have our we can have our best guess. I mean, I have my working theory, which is based on absolutely zero information. Um, if you're all willing, I think you all know what I'm going to say. I think he yeah, probably wanted. Sorry, contract. Yeah, I because I... I mean, look at the deal he signed at Huddersfield for a start. There's your first clue. He, I don't think he's going into these things sort of unaware of what he can get from clubs. He has a certain. But do you ask... think he'd? Do you think he'd want a long-term contract at 75 though? I I think he wants the that sort of like security. Well, I, I wonder. I, I wonder I think... if he wanted to do something like the end of the season, and then because he didn't actually say he wanted to do more than the end of the season at Huddersfield until he got over the line. So I don't mm. think, I don't think he'd do that. And but I think he'd put in a word and say, if I was to keep you up, then could I? Would I be able to stay on like another year or something like that? Yeah, yeah, I could see that. To be fair, and it's just sort of with him, sort of like to what end? Like, how how long do you go carry on with it for? You know, Huddersfield obviously this season decided a couple of games and then get shot of him, and time will tell whether it's good for them or not. But um, if they have kind of said no on the basis that he might have wanted to carry on in the long term, then uh, and I hope you're sitting down for this, but that is probably a good decision by the Queens Park Rangers board. Yeah, I would agree with that. You know, like there's a little bit of restraint shown there. It would have been tempting, but you know they probably made the right. Well, I don't know. Time will tell whether they make, really did make the right call because we've got a, a pretty much a full season to get through first. Um, mm. But if you're gonna, if you're not gonna get Warnock for just to the end of the season, then you may as well go for the guy that's long term. You're the guy that you actually want. Having said that, 
with the talk, what they were saying about him, go, you know, the talk's going on for a couple of weeks. You do wonder how much truth there was in that very hot and heavy article from the Telegraph last Saturday evening. Um, yeah, I if 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 I was uh, if I was a betting man, I would guess that maybe QPR sounded out other candidates just on the basis of playing a bit of poker with Hammerby. I imagine over compensation fees and whatever else. Um, if I was a betting man, uh, I I don't, I don't I don't really know if if the club would contact him on the other hand because of the way it ended last time. Um, yeah. There just seems to be like a real kind of sour note around Warnock and QPR, even after everything. There was also mention in that article, Dan, about um, Nathan Jones. Did mm-hmm. you ever so briefly get your hopes up? No, because I probably knew with the fan base and I don't know, I don't think the style is something that, or what what Jones plays is what the board kind of want. Because if you look across the what Bill Critchley, all that kind of stuff, it's been more possession based coaches. Um, so yeah, no, I, I didn't think it was ever going to happen. I think he's going to Millwall now as well. So yeah, I, I, that that would just be an appointment that just even though he probably is a good manager, it just would be so silly to actually go ahead and try and get him because. I think you're the one QPR fan that likes him. I think, yeah. I think by, by and <laughs> <Yeah>. large. <laughs> I, I just like him because he's a good coach. I, we know, I, thought, uh, like, I the, thought you were referring to Jones to Millwall. I don't think I've ever seen like a manager and a coach suit each other more ever yeah, than yeah. Jones. Like I, I'm going to put money on them going to the playoffs, to be honest with you. Cause well, that is... yeah, I, think, I think they do well. I, I, I generally would. Let's be honest, Luton are just... Millwall wearing orange, right? <laughs> those those games go eerily similar, especially yeah, with is... the fans now. It's it's just the same. Yeah, uh, you j- just to make that white, just to make that wider point as well. Like the the reason we think that will be a good appointment is because sometimes the manager personality just fits the club, doesn't it? You know, you know how Klopp's personality just like runs through. Liverpool and Pep's kind of like calmness runs through City. Um, yeah, I'm not sure Nathan Jones' personality really like matches with whatever. Well, QPR's bipolar at best, but whatever personality like QPR is, Nathan Jones is not that. Yeah, I think that would have been a pretty toxic relationship with the manager straight away, considering he probably would have wanted to open it with. Well, I know you'll hate me or something like that. Like, <laughs> you just, I just, it just wouldn't. It, it would be a very toxic relationship, like the sort of relationship that you, if you've ever had like a friend in that you're sort of like, this is this is not good for anyone. Like, it's just good if everyone sort of goes their own way. But we have appointed someone, Marty Cifuentes, I think is how you pronounce his name. If his interview is anything to go by, that in the mirror. He I was, was practicing that in the mirror before was, he came. Uh, well. Michael, my Spanish GCSE has come in handy many times over the years. And uh, didn't, didn't Paul Morrissey ask him the question in the interview, though? Uh, he may have done that as well. I think it was fifth winter, not sixth winter. Uh, yeah, oh, moving on. Alex. <laughs> Alex. <laughs> thin ice, Dan. Thin ice. Honestly. He's going to edit it out. 
There's a lot of editing to be done in this podcast so far. Okay. Right, we'll, re- we'll release it anyway. Um, so this feels like a, a better fit for the players. Yeah. Fair comment. You think? Yeah, I mean... Yeah, I, I, I don't disagree with that. Um, so he's probably closer to uh, Mick Beal's style of football than anyone else, would we say? Or I don't know. Yeah, I mean, if you're comparing it to a former QPR manager, possibly, but I think they're quite different stylistically. Okay. Um, there was something I wanted to say first. Hold on. Oh yeah. Uh, when we were about to appoint Critchley, there was the the rumours that we were going to appoint Sifuentes. I know at that point both of you guys looked into him. And you kind of you got the hots for him pretty quickly. I seem to remember. <laughs> like, can, can you remember anything from what you found at that point? Obviously, there's you know you would have. I'm sure. I, I think you at least watched a bit of the game that, that Hammerby played the other night, Dan. But you know, is this a, a a move that overall you feel I'm a lot more comfortable with? Something you're happier with? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Probably because the football is going to be more enjoyable to watch. Um, I don't know. He's not the perfect manager. There's there's certainly elements of his um, style that's familiar with us. Uh, I think I put in the group on Monday about his inability with defensive transitions. So he'll fit in fit in well there. But um, <laughs> yeah, for the most part, it looks it looks like they play some good football. Um, so hopefully, it'd be enjoyable to. Have more than fifty percent possession on a match there. Well, more than twenty would be, yeah, moving yeah, in the right direction. I'd say fifty would be. Oh, could you imagine well, it? Well, but then you know, after um, after Huddersfield, it was the best statistical performance of the uh, season. <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, my my comment there that uh, this is closer to Beale's football than anyone else previously seemed to go down, I'd say, okay-ish. But if there is kind of any similarity to the way that we played under him, the one challenge, Micah, that would present itself, I'd say, at this point is getting something out of those creative players. And when I say them, I mean Willock and Chair, specifically. But then also not just focusing entirely on them and sort of running them into the ground. There's got to be a better sort of coaching set up across the whole team. Yeah, this is a big kind of appointment for Chris Willock because now it's kind of, the debate has been, oh, is he just not the same after the injury or has he just been given two coaches that don't really know how to use him? So I think now he's kind of in that last chance saloon kind of territory. Um but yeah, I think I, I said it the other day. I think I think with Chair and Willock, we know what they look like at their best. I think we we've seen that briefly. Beal probably got the best out of them. So it's really about getting them back to that level. I'm not expecting them to go on and, and do like ridiculous things as they like things. Um but yeah, it's, it's it's about building that structure around him. One thing that I gave Ainsworth credit for for three games in unfortunately in September was that it felt like we didn't need Chair and Willock to win games anymore. Now we're kind of back in that 
limbo of oh maybe we do um so I'm, I'm kind of looking to see what other solutions you can kind of provide like naturally we're going to be quite a narrow team we don't really have wingers um we don't really score a lot of goals from midfield has been touched upon but we also don't really have a prolific striker so it's like what solutions can he kind of find I, i'm quite encouraged by the fact i'm sure every possession manager says this but i was quite encouraged by the fact that he was like very cautious to kind of stress that he doesn't just want possession for possession's sake because i do feel like that is kind of what killed us under warburton do you know what that reminded me of that i think we played blackburn under warburton at home and so like jimmy dunn made something like a hundred and 50,000 passes or something like that and they put, yeah. put it up as a stat post game. I was like, this is not a good thing. This is you know, not like, they're good. all sideways passes to like um, I don't know, it might mean like Device or whoever it was, but like this is not <laughs> good. It was but did you Did you watch. see Did you see his um, have you watched his first interview in full? Yeah, he, uh, there was a couple yeah. of quotes. I think some he people He does touch have, on that. Yeah, some people have said about the we need to be angry when we lose. And yeah, that's lovely, whatever. But, you know, everyone's angry when you lose. They're not, they were not happy, I imagine, losing all those games under Ainsworth, regardless of what people want to think. The, the things that really grabbed me was that sort of like not just having the ball for, for the sake of it, using the space that was available, finding the space in games, optimising the space. That had me purring ever so slightly. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I mean, that's it, though. I mean, you, you can tell that he has watched us and probably not just for one season either. He's clearly gone back, looked at the tapes, God bless him, and, and really oh, studied us. He came out of it looking like Dan after all that corner analysis. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the next step as well. Can, can we actually be good from a set piece? I don't mind if it's defending or attacking, but can we just be good from one? I think we kind of cracked it a little bit. Put Dazelle on. It's like he's much better than Chair. He's a bit hit and miss still, but he's still a better option from corners. Yeah. I, I would like to see an improvement in actual crossing from open play. That would be a big tick, please. Yeah. Like it was the amount of times they get hit too far or don't. Yeah, we won't, make we won't it. be hitting any deep crosses though, will we? We'll be, I, we'll, we'll I hope not. Otherwise, this is like, you know. Again, it's uh, it's all fallen apart a little bit. So, um, as we've mentioned a few times, style of play for the new manager is going to be completely different to what we've seen so far. Dan, you spent your Monday evening watching Swedish football for the first time in your life, I assume. Um, no, not the first. I've watched Swedish football before, but that's for other things. Okay. Um, how did I mean apart from the fact that they conceded two goals in the last two minutes to go from two nil up to two all, which may I say, yeah, that's that that is beautifully QPR. Um, how did it go? What did you see? What impressed you? Um, well, I didn't see the the last twenty minutes. So I didn't see the the complete capitulation. Um, but no, it was pretty pretty uh, positive uh, like in possession. So. There was um, he, he was using inverted inverted fullbacks or inverted an inverted fullback. Um, so the right back was playing inside a lot of the time and had quite a lot of joy. Um, the what the main the main thing I found was 
in the final third there were a lot of rotations so like where the, the, the they have a wide, wide triangle where they kind of rotate to which the aim is kind of to like dismark the, the defensive structure um so that was kind of the main thing and then yeah they like to get the ball between the lines um the wingers were like touchline wingers so they were always like complete completely wide um and yeah they were often 1v1 so that you think the likes of like Paul Smith would uh, get a lot of uh, get a lot of joy with that kind of scenario well, I was actually just thinking, who are the kind of players that you would sort of earmark in the squad? Because he said that we've got a squad of quality uh, in his interview, which was nice of him to say, even if he didn't believe it. Um, we also said the club has history, it's like a bit like Reggie yeah. Cannon. Well, uh, uh, <laughs> the guy on BBC London last night said that QPR were a classic club. It's like, what is that? Yeah, what does that mean? Yeah, what is a classic club? <laughs> Classically shit. Like, <laughs> what does that mean? QPR are a classic club. Didn't he? Didn't elaborate. Just kind of. He just kind of said it was like in the same. When you go on next week for like, your weekly, uh, weekly appearance, you can ask him. I will ask him if he bothers to. If if he likes to come on and talk about obscure London football clubs, then yeah, I, I, I'm sure that Swedish journalist will be back next week. I'm even sure I'm going to be back next week. Um, but going back to the question, the players that you think could be um, sort of successful in this new system that we're going to play, I mean, for me, uh, the obvious one does sort of scream, pow, Cannon should be able to at least find a little bit more joy in, in, with with this sort of formation. Am I right? Wrong? Off the um, top yeah. I'd say technically, yeah. I don't know whether he'll go with inverted fullbacks as he did with Hammerby. I mean, one was one was inverted on Monday, so more likely I'd say his power probably on the left. But then, and then the whole the whole concept of it was he came inside, and then they'd often isolate the winger up against the fullback one v one to just run at them. So I guess if you've done that left hand side, I've seen calls for Smith as a left winger um, in the past, so maybe. Powell and Smith have that kind of connection down the left-hand side, but I don't know. I wouldn't say there's any other like standouts. I guess Chair and Willett could do well with the fluidity, but I'd say a lot of... If, if he drills in the instructions, which I'm sure he will, I reckon a lot of players will generally flourish with the development anyway. Do you think the um, that sort of like triangle thing that you mentioned there, that kind of reminded me, perhaps incorrectly, of the the lovely little triangle partnership that Chair, Lee Wallace and oh. I think and Chris Willock had. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Times, yeah. Like, some, yeah is it going to be like similar that. to that? Yeah, so something like that. They'll be on both sides, kind of with the the winger, the fullback and the eight, I think it was. Um, I mean, he could change system or uh, whatever. I don't know. But yeah, that's what I'd imagine we'll see. Um, yeah, so it should be should be quite interesting, I think. The one, the one thing that's interesting going back onto this uh, interview and like talking about where he finds the spaces and stuff like that, I think it's going to be quite an interesting shift in dynamic because under Ainsworth, we're probably with the mentality we had, we were probably working to games. How are we going to stop teams? Whereas I think if we're going to have a lot of the ball um, over time, it'd probably be more based on like solutions for preparation and stuff like that rather than, I mean, we'll focus on the opposition, how we can exploit them, but not probably not look at the defensive side as much as the how can we exploit their defensive structure if that makes sense yeah uh, micah 
with what you've seen kind of like over the last couple of days with what other people are saying on Twitter and such and what Dan was saying there, are you kind of excited about what we could potentially see and what what are you kind of expecting from the next couple of months under Sifuentes? I think uh, the first thing we... I think the first thing people should do is just temper their expectations. Uh, no, we're winning start. the FA Cup, Micah. <laughs> <laughs> Playing the better everybody... attack of football than Barcelona. Yeah, I think everybody's gone straight for the um the uh, the Pep Guardiola kind of feeling. And it's it's realistically, I understand that this style of play does suit the players more, but like a style of play and like actual tactical instruction, like the duties that the players are going to be asked to carry out. Like, it, they're not going to get to grits of that overnight just because they're getting more of the ball. Um, so I, I imagine we'll be sort of inconsistent to start and, like, sort of wildly inconsistent. I'm sure we'll have moments where we look incredible. I'm sure we'll have moments where it all feels very kind of late-stage Warburton and we're like, goodness me, we can't defend. Um, but I think if, if you if you look at like the manager, if you look at what he's done in the game in terms of being a youth coach, in terms of wanting to work with young players and academy players, and I think he he has a quote somewhere about it needs to start with the academy or something like that, um, kind of coupled with the way he wants to play. Um, Dare I say it, (laughs) and I think the last time I said it was when you-know-who ended up going to Rangers, but dare I say it, this could be a kind of like, uh, mid to long term appointment for QPR. This, which you know, three or four seasons is really long term for QPR. But like, it could be. I mean, it, the fit does seem a lot more aligned with what the club were trying to do before Ainsworth. Um, so I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic. I'll call it. What are we expecting to see from them going into Saturday, a game which is already very important in the season, because I know what we're saying about. You know, stylistically, it may not be perfect from the first game, but he has got to get us back to winning ways somehow. We've got to get points on the board because the last couple of weeks have seen a gap open up between us and safety already. And, you know, there's plenty of time to arrest that slide, but you've got to start arresting it now. And that is why he's here to begin with. So what can we expect from them on Saturday? Bear in mind that we haven't actually had that much time with him on the training ground I probably you know I, I, from my point of view I, I don't think I can't see us going sort of really hot and heavy into the tactical the, like the heavy tactical side of it just yet I think like do we think he's just going to sort of like play it a little bit safer and just try and get some sort of points on the board straight up um I don't know. I think I think if, the, if there's any tactical stuff they'll work on, I think they'll probably lean more on the game plan. So they'll probably have the game plan set out and they'll probably lean on that more than kind of implementing the structure of, of now rather than over time. Um, I don't know. There's a few things like I imagine the out-of-possession stuff. The out-of-possession stuff is easier to coach. Um, so he might implement that. I think they were quite hot, aggressive in the press, he said about in the, in the interview about they want to be aggressive both in and out of possession. So I think we might see a, a more aggressive press in that sense. Um, probably because Reading also a, a team we can get after, or we should be getting after. If, uh, if anyone, yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, um, 
maybe a bit on the in possession because that's kind of his style, but I don't think there'll be anything too detailed um, until like the international break, probably, or the week game before. Micah, on the face of it, what apart from obviously a win and goals scored and no goals conceded, what what are you hoping for from this Saturday? Ah, <laughs> uh, God, where do I start? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I would want us to not lose. I, I whether we're like one, like seven on the bounce, or one, like one in however many games it's been, fourteen or whatever it is. Like you, you expect QPR to beat Rotherham. Do you know what I mean? And I'm not saying we go out there and smack them. I'm not saying that. We, I'm not saying that we even have to win, but you don't really want to lose to Rotherham, especially where we are in the table. Rotherham away, like I'll. I'd take a point at this point. Yeah. Ultimately, a positive performance, you know, where people can sort of come away saying, God, they really actually played well. Maybe they were unlucky there. You can see what he's trying to do sort of thing. Like, uh, even like a comeback draw wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. Or let's just yeah, win the I game. Think, you know, like, I don't know, positivity. I think, That's what I want. I think I just, if um, I'm happy just like, if we're able to just see the intent to use those creative attacking players, if we're able to see just certain patterns of play or certain moments where it looks like we're trying to use our best players in the way that's best for them, then that would be a positive starting block for me. Speaking of uh, talented, creative players, this guy might be, we don't know, we haven't really seen him play that much, but um, Richards, not included in in the squad photo, barely getting a sniff of any game time, signed in the summer because we were obliged to. Um, at, on the face of it at the moment, could be one of the worst signings ever made by Queen's Park Rangers, purely from, like, it just doesn't seem to work at all. Um, the, and then you get him liking stuff about Gareth Ainsworth being a, a terrible manager, in a sense, on Twitter. So, Micah, where do you... Uh, any thoughts on this whole sort of situation? And, you know, because I don't know, is is there a player there? I, I can't really, I don't know. No one really knows. But you would like to think that there is to have like a secret weapon there in reserve. It'd be nice to see someone get something out of him. Yeah, I I, I want to clarify what I say next with uh, the real QPR veterans among us. Remember, uh, Stefan M. Beer on Twitter asking Joey Barton if he wanted to swap places with him. In 2013, anyone? That. Anyone? No. You got. And you Barton got. Barton was on loan. Barton was on loan at Marseille, and I think oh, Mbia right. had come the other way. And just as we were about to get relegated, Mbia got on Twitter and tweeted at Joey Barton, "Hey, do you want to swap places? Ha ha, or something like that." Do your googles if you're listening and you don't know. Um, and then I think Mbia come out and said he was hacked, and then that was just kind of. <laughs> That was just kind of the end of that. Um, yeah, the classic exactly. footballer's excuse for, well, like, from was, Mika was, Richards was... in the, the the fancy car in his phone pocket. <laughs> so being the hacked. Was, though, it was it was 2013. So in they so in those days, like the I was hacked excuse was kind of like, well, you know, why why would he why would he say he was hacked if he wasn't? Um, <laughs> uh, it's different now. I think that Lescott one probably. Uh, change things but no it's, it's not a good look and um 
it's like we said last week, realistically at this point, a lot of these footballers is their fourth manager in, in less than two seasons. Uh, at some point, somebody's going to start pointing the finger at them. Um, and I think he's one of the one of the first names that people are going to be ready to point their finger at, and he's not helped himself with that, unfortunately. Yeah, Dan, this is why you like to stay away from this sort of thing, isn't it? Yeah, I don't know. I, 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 yeah, I stay away from it, but also it's not something that really bothers me either way. I mean, it's not great, obviously, not a good look when you're liking uh, tweets about your manager or whatever, but. Um, yeah, I think some of the reaction just goes over the top for me. Um, yeah, is that's... that better or worse than going on Sky after a defeat to come to be a pundit for a Stoke game? Be a pundit for a Stoke game, I don't get what Asmir Begovic, I think it was after oh, oh. Brom. next day oh, was yeah. on Sky. I forgot that. Um, I mean, the real agree, I... the one that re- the really, really egregious is the Chelsea podcast, isn't it, Vim? I don't know. I just don't. I don't really bother about those things. Like they don't really bother me that much. Doesn't bother me. You know, shock. Yeah. Footballers have former clubs that they hold in fond regard. Um. Uh. You know. Yeah. I. I. I, if, I don't think it's brilliant, they, but I don't think uh, it's the reason we were so bad. You know. It's... The only thing on the richest thing that I probably would say is, no one knows what's gone on behind closed doors between him and Ainsworth, because there must there must have been something to to like that or um yeah that he I don't think he just do it for the sake of doing it. So there's there's gotta be a reason behind it that no one knows. And I think yeah, I don't know. I think everyone's like quick to jump to Ainsworth, but you don't know what's happened. Yeah. Um I think we've talked for long enough and I've kept these two from their lives for long enough this evening. Uh last thing before we go, uh I think we're obliged to do this every week now, Micah. But uh Elijah Dixon Bonner came on at the weekend. Do you have, are you any closer to figuring out what sort of midfielder he is? No, but I'll uh, I'm still working on it. I'll get back with a progress report next time he has a five minute cameo. Didn't he play right back? Exactly. Did he play right back? That I is swear he got moved to right back at the end of the game because Paul Smith went further forward. He, he was definitely maybe, there at the end of the game. Maybe that's his new position. We'll it's find possible. out next time. <laughs> was he ever really a midfielder? Was he just another right back? That is... Okay. Yeah. We will update everyone on this progress eventually. Uh, he's going to so, be, yeah. be Sifuentes' inverted fullback, I know. Oh, God. Uh, we are cooking. Um... <laughs> Hopefully this weekend we can all come, we can come back onto the podcast and you know enjoy a tactical masterclass from um, Pep Guardiola, but with hair. Um, so He's thank you very much, Mick Beal. That's that's his uh, yeah, that's Mick Beal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, fair enough. Um, right, thank you to Dan and to Micah for coming on. Uh, finally, I feel like we had a podcast which was verging towards genuine positivity for a little bit. But we'll wait and see. It's QPR. A classic club can always surprise us. Thank you very much for listening. <laughs> and until next time, come on, you ask.